Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Our Bible reading is taken from Nehemiah 2, 1 to 20. At the end of this reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please kindly respond by saying thanks be to God. Nehemiah 2, 1 to 20. In the month of Nisan, in the, 20, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been de be destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sambalat the Horonite and, and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me, except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pole, but there was not enough room for my mounts to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall, Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gates. The officials did not know where I had gone or, where I was, or what I was doing, because as at yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. 
I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what on me and what the king has said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Harab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historical right to it. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, I'm on now. Sorry. Hi, my name is Femi, and it's nice to see us all here. Um, we've been doing a series that, as Francis said, we have come to the end of, um, no, we come to the end of it after I preached this, so we've not actually ended it yet. But um, it's, it's, we've been looking at idols, idols, and we're saying idols and the city. And just if you are thinking idols, what, what does that mean? Isn't that just um, these... Um, carvings of wood and I think people bowed down to it. Well, yes, that's one. But the Bible says that you can have idols in the heart. Now, what it means is because it's set within a context of one God. The Bible story is set within the context of one God. So if you are worshipping something else, and we all worship something, um, whether it's on externally, we can see, observe it externally, or it's in the heart, that thing, because it's not, according to the Bible, a true God, it's an idol. And we said, look, there are three big idols that we have in our city. And so we, in September, we looked at the first one, which is money. In October, we looked at the second one, which is um, sex. And then now we've been looking in November at power. So we've done two sermons, and this is the last one, is on power. Let me start by um, saying, I don't know, unlike in the first service, I don't see that most of the people here will have uh, children. But let me, so let me give you, as someone that has children, let me give you advice. Only God can really take care of your children. Only, what do, somebody said, what does that mean? As in, honestly, why I'm saying that is because the parents of today, we are so neurotic. You know, your children, um, they can't, how many parents allow their children to just go out and play? If they're going out to play, you know, there's a, a maid has to follow them. As a plique, out, just like that. No, they must stay in. Or let's say you are, you are going to a mall or you are going to the airport. What's the one thing a parent is always saying to the child? Stay next to me. Stay next to me. The child, okay, the child wanders from, you are here. The child just goes a few spaces there. And the first thing is, where are you going? Did I tell you to stay next to me? Why are we doing that? Because we feel that we can take care of our children. Look, let me prove to you. Let me give you evidence that, you know, I have sure evidence that only God can take care of our children. Do you know where that evidence is from? Do you know? Me. This person standing. And I don't mean me as a parent. I mean me as in I was a child before. Let me explain. You know these things that we call in, our, in most of our houses, I don't know, I, I don't see them anywhere else, but in Nigeria we always have them. You know, electricity, the electricity that comes in, right, and then you have these phases cut out, so one phase has gone, you now go and you now put a cut out. You know, they're normally around where our ACs are now, up. And so if you need somebody to help you do it, you know that you get a ladder or something because you can't. Do you know why that happened? 
Well, let me take you back to my own early childhood. Eh? Right? Late 80s, as a young guy, I used to see this thing. People would come, they remove it, put it in, remove it, put it in. But in those days, it wasn't at the roof level. It was at the face level. So imagine a child, a five, six-year-old child, having seen all these adults remove it, and sometimes they remove it and they just put it inside, and you think all of a sudden light just comes into the, um, into the house. A seven-year-old child is anything, but he is one, one thing in particular. You know what he is? He's curious, very curious. So one day, whether the auntie or the whatever wasn't watching me, I planned it in my head. My parents were not around. They'd gone to work. I decided to go there too, and I wanted to have an adventure. So I go there, and I see this cut-out thing. Like, this cut-out cell that even puts, you put the thing inside there. This other one that doesn't have cut-out, I wonder what it would be like if I just touched it. You know, just touch it. So you know at this point, the devil is right next to me. He's the one saying that. <laughs> And so I go, I put my hand. Now, before, let me tell you, don't panic. I'm still talking to you, Abby. <laughs> so I'm here, all right? So I go in, and I put my hand there. And for a number of seconds, I realized I was here, but I probably was dancing, but I couldn't stop the dance. And I, that day, I knew that electric power was a very bad thing. But if I asked all of you today, if you had a vision for Nigeria, somebody said, one, you had a, a genie came to meet you and he said, you have one wish, not three. One wish for Nigeria. What would be the one thing you say, God, give us in Nigeria? Electric power, isn't it? You see, the problem is not that electric power is bad. The problem is when you misuse electric power, that is what becomes bad. Power in itself is a good thing. And in the last couple of sermons, the two sermons that we've looked at, it could seem as though we're saying that power is bad. And actually, no, power is good. But it's the right use of power that enables us to see its potential. And I want us to see that in the story of Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah shows us how power can be used properly. With him, we'll be able to see that if we do not idolize power, that we'll be enabled to use it properly and not have it use us. You see, the context is, the, is similar. It's in the same context as the last, last week's sermon, which was in Susa. This was in the Persian kingdom. Remember, the Jews were in their own land, but after sin, God exiled them, and Babylon came and over, um, overpowered them and exiled them. They were shipped to Babylon. But after that, Babylon was conquered by the kingdom of the per, uh, Persians and the Medes. And so by the time of Esther, there was a particular king. The next king after is the one that Nehemiah was According to the end of chapter 1, we didn't read that. It says he was his cup bearer. All right? He was his cup bearer. Now, I think cup bearer was just carrying his cup. No, it was, it was a much more um, exalted position than that. In fact, it first meant, think of a, a king that is over many provinces. In Esther, it was over 127 provinces. That's like um, cities, big cities that we have. And now you have direct access to the king. And you know access is everything. You know, normally advisors are nothing, but when you say, I am a SPAD, a special advisor to the president, you know what that means? It's not so much that you are giving advice. All of us can give advice. Go to the beer, to the bar down the road. Everybody has advice for the president. The thing is that you have special access. He had access, direct access to the king. The second thing, and many commentators point out, not only was he probably the wine taster of the king, but he also 
um, bore the signet ring with, with which the, the king used to sign certain things that cannot be revoked or altered. But even more importantly, he was the chief financial officer of the king, CFO. What am I saying? Nehemiah was a powerful guy. Nehemiah was well positioned. And it's, it's, worth bearing, it's worth looking at his life to then see how can the, uh, our uh, people with position um, and also abilities, how can they use that for good? So we've titled this sermon, The Power That Builds Up, Power That Builds Up, and we're looking at it under three headings. One, um, the power of position. Two, power of abilities. Three, power of grace. Power of position, power of abilities, and power of grace. Let's take the first point, power of position. Now, for those of us who have very close friends, we have very close friends or we have spouses or, or you know, our family members, have you ever asked someone, you know, you see your family member and say, what's wrong with you? Or let's say you see your spouse and say, what's wrong with you? And it says, nothing. Then you ask, you say, are you sure? Is it that you are deaf? As in, did you not hear what the person said? Why are you asking, are you sure? The person said, nothing. Now, let me say, for guys who are aspiring to marry or guys who are newly married, if you ask and they say nothing, I beg you in the name of God, don't leave. Right? Just ask the question. Because if you now say, oh, and you start walking away and you say, um, and they call you back and say, is that it? Like, what is that what? Abba, what's wrong with me? It's like, but you said nothing. You should go for marriage counseling. Right? Nothing doesn't mean nothing. It actually means something, but it's something that means you need to dig. And if you're wondering why, just, just do it, okay? So, but the reason why we ask that question, again, is because of something. We know how that person looks when there's nothing wrong. And so when we see a change, we say that there's something wrong. So you see, Nehemiah has been appearing before the king all the time. And he says in, in verse 2 that the king noticed that he had not been sad in his presence before. So all of a sudden, he now saw Nehemiah sad. Why was he sad? Well, if you go back to chapter 1, it tells you. In verse 2 and 3 of chapter 1, someone had come from Jerusalem. Jerusalem that had been, you know, I remember I said that they were exiled, but it was destroyed. And in chapter 2, someone had, in verse 2, someone had come to say, look, the people, the whole place has been destroyed. The gates have been, you know, have been broken down. You know, there was fire, those who, and then it says, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The desolation of the city was a reflection of the people's condition. The city was burned down, the city was in trouble, and the city was in disgrace. And that is how the people felt. That was the news that made Nehemiah downcast. And he goes on to explain to the king as well. He says the same thing in verse 3. May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? But I want you to think about that. Nehemiah felt bad because people who are far away from him were not actually having a good time. Most times we put on the news. We see certain, certain things that are bad. What do you do? I don't want negativity in my life this morning. I'm changing it. Can, we, can I just watch the Kardashians, you know? <laughs> just, 
Okay, all right, that doesn't make some of us feel good. All right, maybe we change from the Kardashians because that's going to make us feel bad. And we go to, I don't know, Ebony Life TV. That still doesn't make us feel good. Eh? Which one? Eh? Copy channel? Home what? Homer? Oh, Comedy Central. Okay, so we now move to Comedy Central. All right, that's the point. You don't like what's happening on Everybody Life. You don't like what's happening on the Kardashians. You don't like what's happening on BBC. So we go to Comedy Central. Nehemiah didn't do that. Why? You see, one of the first things that you see, if you are going to use power effectively, you need to have empathy. That is, you need to identify with people. Notice, where was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was not just in another city. Nehemiah was in the palace. Quite often what happens is this. You didn't like, your life started in, and I'm not saying anything bad about these places. I'm just giving reality. Right? Your life started in Ejibo. And it was what it was. It was what it was. You were happy for the life you received there. But I need to work. I need to work. And so you work, you work, you work. You have a dream for your life. And after a while, you make it from Ejibo, and now you now make it to Isolo. Hey. So you see the guys in sort of like, you see the age you go, hey, homie, like, hey, I'll see you guys. I need to. All right. And so you walk, 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 walk. And then you make it from Isola to Surulere. Right? And so the age you people, like, I'll see you at that party. All right? And then you work further, further, harder, and you cross the bridge. And you make it to, let's not say Aja, Leki. You make it to Lekki, and like now you are really paid. You work harder, harder, harder. You make it to Banana Island, and now you know you have reached because there's nowhere else to go. It's, <laughs> it's the lagoon after that, all right? I don't want to do that. So you now make it to Banana Island. Here's the point. Then you now hear about something that happened in Ejigbo. Like maybe, God forbid, a fire or a building collapsed, and your reaction is, ah, God, thank you for delivering me. You took me out of that place. It may have been me it may have been my family, my children. You see what happens? When you realize that there's trouble and disgrace with other people, you are thanking God that you are not suffering like them. You shouldn't be invested with power. Nehemiah, even though he was in the palace, in fact, the king said this. It wasn't just, it wasn't just sadness of the face. It was sadness, he said, this is nothing but sadness in the heart. You know, sometimes, have you ever met somebody who came to meet you and you were feeling very bad, really very bad? And the person now came to meet you and I said, Bumi, ah, what's wrong with you? And Bumi now says, ah, man, I don't know, it just it's yesterday, you know, something in my family. And the person said, hey, yeah, that's bad, though. Ah, let me even tell you about my own family. That Eyada is, yeah, is bad. What do you see from it? The person isn't really feeling. But the person has, we just have to say sorry. You're not empathizing. It was sadness in his what? His heart. The great trouble that had befallen Jerusalem, his people, and the disgrace that had befallen them, he felt it as though it was his. If you are going to use power effectively, especially if you are not going to idolize power, you have to empathize. Because look, if you idolize power and you are giving power, increasingly what is going to happen to you is that you will be isolated from those that you are meant to help. You will continue to use it to isolate yourself. I need to get out of the hood. I need to get the hood out of me. That's the way we think. But Nehemiah, 
empathized. It was in his empathy, because of his empathy in chapter 1 again, when he heard these things, he said, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Let me tell you something. Mourning, weeping, mourning, fasting, praying. And he said he did it for days. Most of this will have been done in private. Can, I, can you test? Do I really empathize with when this person told me about their suffering? Here's how you test. How often did you think about it when no one was there? How often did you pray about it when no one was there? Not, oh, oh, we need prayer points in the church. Oh, Lord, we just remember this person at this time. You pray about Leah Sharibu only when church is saying, let us pray for the nation. We are not really empathizing. And that, when we are giving power, and all of us, I can see, have some form of power, we will misuse that power. But you see, that's not the only thing that is required. Because identification is one thing that is important. But the next thing, notice the king asked him a question. In verse 4, he says, what is it you want? Wow, there's a transition here. What is it that you want? Do you have an answer to that question? An adequate answer to the question? Because if you don't, the difference or one key difference between a good leader and a bad one is that a bad leader often doesn't have an adequate answer or any answer to that question a good leader does. Because with power and then the news about issues come responsibility. Nehemiah saw, the thing came to Nehemiah. He wept and he mourned. But now the queen, king needs to find out, okay, I now know why it is. What do you want? In other words, he's saying, what do you want to see this situation? What do you want to see happen to this situation? What do you want to help you to do that? And he may have had an answer. He said, I want to go and rebuild it. The king, let the king live forever. Give me permission so that I can go and rebuild it. Hmm. Now, before he decided to rebuild it, it's something that he had thought about in his heart. In verse 12, he said, God had put something in my heart to do for Jerusalem. That is to rebuild. Notice, it's the same heart that he felt the sadness. The same heart that the king said, this must be sadness of heart, is the same heart in which he said, God put something there to do for Jerusalem. It is possible to empathize and imagine a better future at the same time. Here's what Nehemiah did not do and what we shouldn't do when we have power. You shouldn't say something like this. Ah, I don't have power, you know, because you're trying to be humble. Me, I don't, no, I'm not. We're all the same. We're all equal. Or you shouldn't even do something as sanctimonious as this. Some people say, ah, king. Nehemiah said, what do you want? What is it you want? King, I have to quit my job. So what, what do you mean? My people are suffering. Look at me, I'm enjoying. I need to identify my people. So the best way for me to do it is to do what? I quit my job. I sell all I have. I distribute among them until let us also all live together. I've made it this far to Banana Island, but my people are suffering. So I need to sell my house and then go and go back and live in Ejigbo. If we do that, then somebody is working with you. And his name is not Jesus. It starts with a D and ends with an L. Right? That will, you, you know why that's a problem? You may go and identify with those people, but you, are, you will not help those people. 
You may be saying, well, ah, these people can't read. They can't, they, they, they can't have education. You know why? Because the weather is so hot. They can't even, you know, they don't have light. They don't have, they can't read the books because there's no light. The weather is so uncomfortable. Look at me. In my study, I have two air conditions. Right? I have this big table. I have my lampstand. They, we run 24 hours gen. How can I be going through this when my people are suffering? You know what your people need for you to do? Your people need for you. They can't imagine. They can't imagine where they are. A better situation. You can imagine a better situation for them because of the comfort that you're giving. Amen. The problem is, if in the comfort that you have, you keep thinking about how, ah, thank God. How am I going to secure these things? I don't want to go back to that place. So I don't want this people coming near me. You see, Nehemiah understood that the people that were in disgrace, the people who were in great trouble, were not the people that could reimagine a new future. Nehemiah understood that as the one positioned with royal access and influence and fundraising capabilities, he was responsible not just for empathizing, but for imagining a better situation with the ruins. You see, it's one thing to see the ruins, it's another thing to imagine a better future. Empathy is important, but what do you see in that context of ruin? Take, for instance, Martin Luther King Jr. In a time of racial segregation, in a time when the inequality between black and white people was increasing more and more, the legacy of, uh, of, 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 um, of slavery was still impacting uh, their generation, a hundred years after, you could map out what was going to happen to a black kid the moment they were born. You could map out what was going to happen to a white kid the moment you were born. In that time of systemic oppression, he was seeing that. And what did he say? He said, I have a dream. And that dream was not a nightmare. It wasn't, I had a dream of carnage. I had a dream of looting and anarchy. Because you people, you have not allowed us to enjoy, and you're trying to enjoy. You know, go better for you people. That's what I saw. No, that's not what he said. He said, I have a dream that one day the son of slaves and the son of slave owners will be able to sit down together in the fellowship and brotherhood of unity. In the context of ruin, because of the power, the eloquence, the intellectual uh, giftings that had been given to him, he could imagine something better. So I ask you, are you seeing or you are imagining? And this comes in every facet of our life, not just in bigger things. I want to ask you, for some of us that have kids that are not well behaved and you are wondering, are you seeing or you are imagining? Are you seeing great trouble and disgrace or you are imagining rebuilding and restoration? In your marriage, if it's not working out for you very well now, are you seeing great trouble and disgrace? Or are you seeing, are you imagining restoration? In your business or your place of work, are you seeing disgrace and trouble? Or are you imagining rebuilding and restoration? In your personal spiritual work, work with God, are you seeing great trouble, disgrace? Or are you imagining rebuilding and restoration? In your communal work with God, not just your personal, but with Lord's people, what are you seeing? Are you seeing or are you imagining? I know these quotations, things like this are often abused. I'm not, a, I'm not an inspirational preacher or prosperity preacher, but I truly believe this. You, most of the time, more often than not, you will not achieve what you cannot imagine. 
Now, listen. People in dire straits, they need our empathy. But they don't just need our empathy. They need our help. And that starts with us reimagining what things could be. That brings me to the second point. Position is one thing, and that's power of abilities. Position is one thing, but you know, position is what they put on your door, your office door, um, and your, the title. I know they don't do that again because now we're we now deal with uh, open spaces and all of that. We're in a new age. I understand that. Me, I have an official, but anyway, position is what they put there. But how about what you do? Now we now start talking about. Functional power. There's positional power, but there's also functional power. Functional power now relates to your abilities. Your abilities, the power of abilities. Notice the king's second question and compare it to the first. The king's second question is how long will your journey take? The first question was the what question. What do you see? The second question is how are you going to achieve it? So that's why the king asks. He says, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? All of a sudden, the king is going very practical. And guess what? Nehemiah had answers. Good answers, in fact. He first answered, oh, I set a time. So he had a time. And then he says, oh, I need two letters. I need one letter that's going to grant me safety, and I need another letter that's going to grant me building resources. I need to be able to build the, the place I'm going to stay in. I need to build the walls and all of those things. What does that mean? Well, it means if the what question is, your, the answer is imagination, then the how question, the answer is a strategy or a plan. You see, Nehemiah didn't just have a vision of where he wanted Jerusalem to be. Nehemiah had a plan. You see, sometimes power is unused or misused, not because a leader is corrupt. I hope you know that. Sometimes power is not used well or is misused, not because the leader is corrupt, but because the leader is incompetent. And the first sign of incompetence is your inability to plan. Failure to plan is proof of unpreparedness to lead. And I see this all the time. <laughs> I've met so many people who don't, they don't like where they are. They make it clear. First conversation, ah, I wish God would just... Deliver me. I don't like this. Look at my situation. Look at where my friends are. Or oh, look at my spiritual life. I shouldn't be committing this sin. Blah, blah. All right, good, good, good. Okay. All right. 45 minutes has passed. Let's set up another meeting. Come back again. How are you? Pastor, I'm so bad. So bad. Honestly, I don't like where I am. I don't. Okay, where do you want to be? I want to be better. I want to be a better husband. I want to have a better work with God. I want to be more repentant. Uh, okay, okay, we're making progress. All right, come back next time. All right, so how are you? <laughs> I'm feeling so bad. Where do you want to be? I want to be better. What are you going to do about it? Am I meant to answer that question? You see, it's one thing to say, this is what I want. This is what I want. I will only know, and you would only know truly what you want if you started putting a plan together and trying to achieve that. You see, Nehemiah could only give an answer to the how question. Notice how specific he was. He had a set time. He, had the, he knew the materials that he needed. And therefore, he could give an answer to the king. Some people are always dreaming. I know I said Martin Luther King had a dream. He had a dream. But you know he was speaking. He wasn't dreaming when he was speaking. Let me ask you something. Imagine somebody who 
they say, has been dreaming. He dreams. He's been dreaming for the last 10 years. He, as in, when I mean dream, I don't mean Martin Luther King metaphoric dream. I mean real dream. What, who is a person that has been dreaming for 10 years, like he's been dreaming constantly, nonstop, for 10 years? Who is that? What's that person? Huh? No, the person is dead. A dead person, right? If you've been dreaming, I hope you know that. If you have been dreaming nonstop for 10 years, you, they can't wake you up for 10 years. You are what? You are dead, all right? You are dead. Now, metaphorically, in that sense, if you keep dreaming about the situation and the thing that you want to achieve, it will never come to life. That thing will, that, that, that person or their actualization will be what? Dead. There is the vision, there is the empathy, there is the vision, but if you don't have a plan, the vision will remain dead. You can't tell me that, oh, oh gosh, uh, I, uh, okay, I want to sell ice cream. I think ice cream business is going to be really good. Why? You see, uh, climate change. The weather is so hot. Actually, I think that's a good idea. All right? Weather is so hot. Okay, weather is so hot. So I'll introduce you to a number of people that maybe will be willing to invest. And this, this has happened. You now go to those people. You now say, oh, what do you want to do? I want to sell ice cream. All right. So um, what, what, what scale? Scale. <laughs> I may buy it in a banner. No, 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 I don't mean, I mean, what's the scale of the, oh, that. I'm thinking we, we, we want, to, want to sell it to distributors, we want to put it all around. I want it to go throughout the whole Nigeria. In fact, I want us to be the number one ice cream maker in Nigeria. Okay, how much do you need? Ah, I don't know. How much do you want to give me? <laughs> you see the problem. There's no plan. You're just dreaming, but there's nothing to actualize that. Oh, Pastor, I want to do my devotions, but I find that every time I wake up in the morning, every time I'm going to bed and I want to now read, I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping. Are you serious? Why are you sleeping? I don't know. Aren't human beings meant to sleep? I'm tired now. Okay. So what will you do about it? I've not thought about that. Maybe if you thought about it, you realize that you shouldn't have your devotions in the evening because you're really tired. How about trying in the morning? Like, that is a good idea. How come I never thought about it? That's the problem. You've not been thinking. You see, Nehemiah, when he, when Nehemiah went to, if you notice in verse, verse 12 and verse 16, it says that he went to Jerusalem and he didn't say a word to anyone. It wasn't that he was trying to keep a secret, though, because eventually in verse 17, he now spoke about it. Here's the point. There are times when you are trying to prepare something. You can't be talking, 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 talking all about it. The, pl the place for thinking is precisely that, thinking. You should be researching. You should be trying to find out the obstacles. He realized, man, this Tobiah and Sambalat in verse 10, there's going to be a problem later. I have to put that into my plan. You can't just get up and just start going. Many people fail in businesses or fail in things that they start with in very, very early on because they haven't thought the process through. They have thought about what I could be. People can see me on Instagram, all of those things. But they've not thought about the plan. Maybe because it takes hard work. Some people just don't like it. If I start now, ah, this thing, oh, ah. And I gave it to this person to look at it, and they said it was bad. Do they know how long I worked out on it? And so you just put it aside. And Jesus tells us quite simply, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? We need to plan. 
These things have costs, they have processes. And again, I'm not just talking about our businesses. In many things, you say you want to raise your children in this particular way. But as you are saying that, I would like my children to be like this. I would like my children to be like this. I would like my children to be like this. And all the while, while you're spending time with your children, you're also looking at your Instagram. You're rolling through your Facebook. And you say, the children are trying to talk to you. And like, eh, what did you say? What, what was that again? I was saying, mommy, for the 18th time that I was trying to. <laughs> and you want to raise your children? You can have the dream. But there's obviously you're not working with a plan. And sometimes some of us quit because we say, ah, this plan is going to be so big. Oh, it's going to be so big. How can anyone plan for five years? Who knows what's going to happen in five years? Well, no, notice, you don't, have to, you don't have to do that because Nehemiah, he had a plan before he met the king. And that's why he said all the things. But what did he do? He went to Jerusalem. And what was he doing in Jerusalem? He was examining, re-examining, and re-examining. What does that tell you? He didn't have a full plan for rebuilding. The plan still needed to be tweaked by more information. He knew he had a plan, he had a dream to rebuild, he had a plan to go to Jerusalem, but when he now went to Jerusalem, he gets more information, he will build the plan further. Which is why that leads me to the next thing that we need. You don't just need to empathize, you also need to imagine. But you don't just need to imagine, you also need to plan. But you can't just plan alone. Eventually you need to implement. Some people just like the idea of planning. You know, we're in a new age in terms of work, if you've not realized. Back in the 70s, 80s, for instance, if you're a CEO, what's the kind of picture you like? You know, you're about to put something on your, on your they don't even have website. So your annual report, you wear a very nice suit, right, tie, pocket square. You probably sit down on an executive chair, a large table, and then you do something like this. I don't know why people always think this symbol means something like I'm, I'm profound. Some people now, the new guys now today, inspirational speakers, they, they turn it this way. You know, something like that. But now, now all of those people, they're also, we, we, we don't do all of those things now because now we are, you know, Silicon Valley kind of entrepreneurs. I, I think a lot. I don't, I wear like a black t shirt, you know, jeans. I'm there. We don't really think about ourselves. It's just ideas, ideas. And so every office now has a whiteboard. You know, whiteboard with marker, and this guy is just holding his whiteboard marker, and he's like this, you know. <laughs> Man, the ideas of this world, how do we solve it? But that's what we do, we think. And some people are so, that is such a romanticized view that all they ever do is think and they never do anything. And one of the biggest brands in the world is here to save us. He gives us just three words. He says what? Just do it. And some of you, that's the thing you need to do. Just do it. I'm not saying planning is not important. I just said that it's important, right? But you're not going to achieve anything by a plan, alone. Can you imagine if, if Toki was, the, the, it was a football manager, a football coach. They've had planning session. He has drawn up the different tactics. And he now says, guys, all right, everybody, come, come, come. If we finish that, can we all come? And they all stand next to the tactics, and they take a photo shoot, a selfie. And that's it. That's what's going to win us the match. Of course, they have to go and execute the plan. I hope you guys have remembered the plan. You still need to go and execute it. And that's why Nehemiah, when he went to those guys, eventually, because his plan was to rebuild. His plan, his goal was to rebuild. The goal was not to have a plan to rebuild. I hope you understand. The plan was to rebuild. Not the, goal, uh, the goal was to rebuild, not to have a plan to rebuild. 
So immediately when he went there in verse 17, he now started speaking. He now says, he didn't say, because remember, he's identifying with them. He didn't say, ah, you guys, you are in trouble. Oh. See the trouble you are in. <laughs> but I've come to say, he said, see the trouble we are in. Oh, I got their ears. This is somebody that has thought a little bit about it. And he now says, we need to start rebuilding. We're in disgrace. We're in trouble. We need to start rebuilding. Oh, that sounds very nice. Now, this guy is a good talker. Tell us we build following. Let me tell you something. People normally would rally around a good talker that has a mission for about two weeks. Right? It's, ah, man, I like the way she made me feel when she's talked. I mean, I just felt like after a while, but eventually, you know what they're going to say? How are we going to do this thing? How do we know that this thing can be sustained? Any responsibly thinking person. And Nima knew that. After he told them, man, guys, we need to rebuild all of these things and all that, he knows, man, these people want to need, they need a plan, they need resources. Now I said, oh, by the way, hey, the gracious hand has been upon me. And let me tell you what the king said to me. Hey, the king, you, you know the king. And he, he gave you material, oh, this is somebody we're going to work with. Because now they saw a leader that not just cared about them. In verse 10, he said he came to promote the welfare of the Jews. He cared about them, but he had a plan. He had resources to carry out that. That is the kind of person you want to rally around. That is the kind of person you ought to be. Because that kind of person on that kind of plan will sustain the project that you are trying to achieve. Far too many people start up something. They employ people, but you have no plan on how you are going to pay the people. But you say, no, let's sacrifice. We're sacrificing for a mission that is bigger than us. Eh. A mission that is bigger than you does not buy you pomo and catfish. Catfish is expensive. Very happy. People need something concrete. And they can only do something concrete when they see somebody that is well prepared and has the resources to enable us to start to implement that plan. Now, I should say to some of us, you don't just need just do it. You need something else. Let me remove the do. And just say, just start it. Can you, can you just start? I used to do this a, a number of years ago. I still do it when I find somebody. Um, oh, what are you doing now? You know, one of the things people always come to me, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. I, I would like to, I need some direction. Okay, so we start, maybe talk about a business. All right, business plan. What's your business plan? What's your strategic plan? What's your... Um, uh, I don't have one. Okay. Why? I don't know how to do it. I'm not sure. They start giving you all the excuses. So you know what I tell them? I say, all right, this is what you do for me. Today, when you go home, you know how to go home. Yeah, I know how to go. All right, go home. When you go home, you go to your table, all right, table. Do you have a laptop? Yes, I have a laptop. Put your laptop on the table. Okay, good. I can do that. You see, you know how to do this. All right, open the laptop. Wow, this thing is... Now, when you open the laptop, click on Microsoft Word, right? And it's okay, I click on Microsoft Word. Now, I want you to do this. Write business plan for bakery, all right? Make it bold, make it bold, font 20, all right? Then you now do Control S, that's save. Then in the saving, you now put business plan for bakery. And then when you do that, close. I said, close the laptop, you have, you have started. Look, I wrote a thesis that was close to 100,000 words to defend. Do you know it started with one word? In fact, it started with me opening a document and saying, thesis. Many times, we don't actually achieve the things. We don't 
just because we don't start. Listen, tell your neighbor, just start it. Uh, it's not loud enough. Just start it. I'm saying it's so important. You say, oh, um, um, I keep falling into this sin. I keep falling into this sin. The last three times you and I have spoken, I have, we've been pointing the, uh, the fact that because you are not connected to God, if you turn back, if you fail in the day of adversity, it's because your strength is small. But you build strength somewhere. In your personal devotions, God has not hidden it from us. Read your Bible prayer every day if you want to grow. It works for children. It works for adolescents. It's going to work for adults. And now I can show you that because you've not been doing that, that's why you've been falling into sin. Have you started your personal devotion? First time. Second, you are looking for some kind of some kind of airy-fairy answer. That's why some people go to prophets in a bush or something. I don't know. Why haven't you done this thing? Why don't you just start? I would like to be in more community. I'd like to, okay, we announced the next GC date. Did you write it down? Did you put it in your calendar? Put it in your calendar and say, give me a reminder one day from now. Just start. Just start. If you start, you will do it. So we need to empathize or identify. We need to reimagine. We need to plan. But we need to do. And the doing begins with us starting. And so that takes me to the final point. And that is part of grace. Now, if you notice, all of these things I've just said, you say, well, I thought I was coming to church. I didn't know I was coming to some kind of uh, pseudo business school. Sorry, you came to church. I, my business skills, it's not, this is not a business presentation. No, but it is a leadership presentation and the Bible gives us that. But I want you to notice something. Nehemiah with all of these things is not just, he doesn't just believe in effective leadership. He believes in godly leadership. You see, when he was opposed in 2 verse 19, eventually he responded in verse 20. He says, look, it is the God of heaven that will give us success. You can have the plans. You can have all of those things. But Nehemiah understood what was written in Proverbs chapter 16, verses 3 and 9. And that is, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Or, in their hearts, humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps. He knew that it was, if they were ever going to be successful, it was going to be God that was behind that. That's why, upon hearing the news, upon hearing the news that Jerusalem was in ruin in uh, chapter 1, 2 to 3, do you know what he did? He said he mourned, he fasted, but he also did what? He prayed. And verse 5, where he prayed, verse 5 to verse 10 is one of the most famous, to verse 11, one of the most famous, famous prayers in the Bible. It's a long prayer. He prayed a long prayer. When he was in the presence of the king, and the king asked him, what is it you want? Uh, wh uh, what is it you want? You don't name uh, sorry, why are you, why are you feeling like this? Or is that what he said? Let me just check. What is it you want? Yes, what is it you want? The man didn't just start rolling out things. You know what he did? Look at what he said in verse 4. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. At that point, he wasn't praying the kind of prayer he prayed in chapter 1. That's not the time for long prayer. That's the time for quick shot. Lord Jesus, give me wisdom, give me grace. All right, king, this is what I want. He prayed because he knew God was the one that was behind his success. As the work started, they faced opposition. People were now opposing them. They didn't first carry swords and start. You know what they did? 
in verse four, in, in chapter four, verse four, it says, they said, Hear us our God, for we are despised. They prayed. They were always praying while they were doing what they needed to do. Such that by the time they completed the project in, in 6 verse uh, 16, you know what they said? They said, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Nehemiah was not just an effective leader with power, he was one, a godly one too. This leads me to something that is a, a, just a, like a, a slight diversion, but I, I feel like I need to speak about it, even though our time is gone. Our nation is in, um, in, in, in some dire straits in terms of uh, the social fabric of the nation, cultural fabric of the nation. Right? We are not in the best place. Some people, they say Nigeria is now the global capital of poverty in the world. We, are, we have more poor pe people in extreme poverty than India. So things are really bad. Now, for a lot of Christians, as this trend has continued over a period of time, we've, always, we've been slightly confused as to how they, what is the interconnection between human, uh, human will and the divine will. What do we do? Where does God fit in? Where do we fit in? And they are usually, uh, we usually fit into one of three camps. One, you're either a pragmatist. Two, or maybe you are um, a fatalist. Or three, you're a dualist. What do I mean? Here's a pragmatist. Pragmatists overemphasize the human and they underemphasize the divine. So they'll say something like this. God will not come down and do it for you. It's not God that will come down and do it for you. Or, I wonder with all this prayer you have been praying, what has it achieved? Or you know what? You pray, I'll work. That's a pragmatist. Overemphasize the human, underemphasize the divine. But you may be a fatalist. Fatalists underemphasize the human and they overemphasize the divine. <laughs> Bros, how are we going to achieve this thing? God will do it. I don't know how, because you know it works in mysterious ways. <laughs> um, okay, you know that thing that we agreed, and uh, I hope you started. He said, I've not yet started. Why? I'm praying. Or this is one of the best one. This is the most classic one. That thing, you have not, you have, why have you not moved this and said, I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting. Because those that wait on the Lord will mount up with, and then they will start to, I'm waiting. You keep waiting, waiting, waiting. Nothing will happen to you. All right. Sometimes we may, we may think these two positions are extreme. So he, in comes the dualist. The dualists are the people of balance. No, 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 it's a, no, 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 it's not like that. We need to balance things. You know, we need to balance things. And they balance the human and divine by separating them. So what they do is they say something like this. We've prayed long enough. Now it's time for what? Action. That's prayer, but action. Or the time for faith is in our personal devotion and in church. When you are doing your personal devotion and church, and that's faith, faith, yes, that time. But outside of those two is the time for action. Because even the Bible says that faith without works is what? Is dead. Separate them. Is this how Nehemiah was? No. He was neither of those three. Nehemiah is what I call a realist. See, people that say realist, those are the people that say there's no God. No. If you believe in the narrative that there is a God who created the world, sustains the world, and he acts in the world, how, to not believe... To not believe that he's working or to be in contact with him is not to be real. Do you understand? That's to be unreal. So Nehemiah was a realist, and this then played out in how 
he worked his things. He understood that to be a realist is to see the divine work through the human. The divine work through the human. So when he prayed about your position, in verse, in, uh, that when they said, hear us, oh God, look at what they are doing to us. After they had prayed about that, do you know what their response was in verse 6 immediately? After they said, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their hearts. They worked because they had prayed. This is how, if you think, Nehemiah is, is sort of, when they were building this thing, it sort of went with this pattern. Listen. He initially got to plan, after he heard the news, he initially got to planning and working. After praying in chapter 1, verse 5 to 10. Then he approached the king because he prayed. He prayed when, the, when he was with the king and the king asked him something. Then after that, he planned. He implemented, then he re-examined. And then he prayed. Then he spoke with the people. They were opposed. He prayed. They prayed. They worked again and prayed again. And then they worked. They implemented and they prayed. And then they worked and they prayed. And they finished. And guess what they did after they finished? It is not about a separation. You can distinguish between the human will and the divine will, but you can never separate them. Because if we have to effectively use power, we are working that power through the one who has the almighty power. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Who is to work it out? Your salvation. It says work out your salvation, right? Who is to work it out? Then he now says, for it is God that works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. You can't separate them, but you can distinguish between them. This is why he prayed so often. He prayed because he knew that he, though he was effecting power, there was one that was almighty. So when he spoke with the people, he said, look, do you know why I had favor with the king? Because the gracious hand of God was upon me. He understood that the power that this God exercised was the power of grace. You know why? Because when the God saw the ultimate ruinous project, Jerusalem was broken down because it sinned. But actually, Jerusalem was just a reflection of all mankind. God created this mankind, and this mankind, human beings, they all sinned. And so we messed up his world. And God said, now I have to rebuild this world. You know what he did? You know what he did? He identified he imagined, he planned, and he implemented. In solving the ultimate problem of the world, he brought about the gospel, and the gospel follows those four things. Let me run through them very quickly. So he identified with us. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you understand? Jesus identified with us. He became a human being in, because of the mess that we're in. He identified, us, he identified with us so much that he became like us. But imagine if Jesus just became like us and he did nothing. No, he became like us because he saw something. God created this world and it was good. He created the heavens and the earth. We messed it up. So what's God going to do about this whole world? He's going to see a new heaven and a new earth. And 2 Peter says that. But in keeping with God's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Has that happened yet? Has it happened yet? No, but he has imagined it. And so this thing that he's imagined, what does he need next? Tell me. 
What does he need next? A plan. And so we go to Peter again, but now he's speaking to, in Acts chapter 4. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. He says, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and for knowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him, action. He was crucified according to a plan, but God raised him from the dead, freed him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep him in his hold. And in verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made, again, the action. He has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Do you guys get it? The reason why Nehemiah could do what he did was because of the gospel. He was praying to a God who, through the gospel, showed us how to effectively use power. He was the ultimate God with ultimate power solving the ultimate mess of the world. And he did that by identifying with us, by imagining a better future, by, by planning about it, and now implementing it. What are you going to do with your power? Are you going to isolate yourself so that you will not identify with people? Are you going to keep looking at the problem and not reimagining a better future? Are you going to stall yourself by just imagining and not planning? Or are you going to, with a plan, just sit down and not do anything? If you do so, you will not be gospel-centered in your leadership. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. But guys, power in itself is good. If we use our power in a gospel-centered way, we will be able to rebuild ruins, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others. Thank you for listening to The Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.